You guys ready? Ready? Oh, no problem. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. Celebrate the presence of the Lord. He is worthy to be praised. Celebrate the presence of the Lord. He is worthy to be praised. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Celebrate the presence of the Lord. He is worthy to be praised. Celebrate the presence of the Lord. He is worthy to be praised. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Celebrate. Computer spite.
here we go. <laughs> <laughs> it's winning some mornings. <laughs> I tell them to be seated, but they beat me to it, so. <laughs> I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before you. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne judging righteously. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy has come to an end in perpetual ruins, and you have uprooted the cities. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord abides forever. He has established his throne for judgment. And he will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples with equity. The Lord also will be a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Let's pray. Lord, the words of the psalmist are still true today. You are righteous, you are just, and you are king. And Lord, where your enemies stand, we pray that your victory would be swift. And where sin abounds, that your judgment would be strong. And Lord, where your people are found, that your grace would be abundant. Strengthen us, that as we walk in a dark world, that our light would shine, a light that you have provided, that you have placed, and that you strengthen. Lord, gird us for the battle ahead. Let us be your faithful people always. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our God is an awesome God, He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God, He reigns from heaven above with wisdom power and love our god is an awesome god our god is an awesome god he reigns from heaven above with wisdom power and love our god is an awesome god our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God, He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome 
God. Our God is an awesome God. All right. Ah, fidgeting with the sound system at the same time, so. Let's see, a couple of things. Again, Missions Project, uh, Pregnancy Care Center, list. If we're at a list, I will get them. If, let me know if you want to list, and then we're not, I didn't check before I walked in this morning. But thank you to everybody who has brought stuff. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Doing that through the end of this month, probably like I said, probably into the 1st of February, and then we'll get all that delivered. Um, reminders, we have a business meeting today after the service, so members, please stick around. Your inputs will be appreciated. You get the whole report on last year and then planning for this year, so big day. And Jonathan's not here to complain about how long it takes. <laughs> that gets us a round of applause. <laughs> um, last thing is reminder, we are getting Sunday school back up this year, getting back to full running. We had about a full class on the adult side, probably had about a full class on the kids' side too. So, so you are welcome. We are basically finishing up Leviticus in my class. So if you like Leviticus, which two <laughs> weeks in a row, we have had fun in Leviticus, haven't we? And yes. we're learning good stuff, which is actually more important than having fun, believe it or not. I know, the nerve of some people in 2021. So, all right, anything else that I am forgetting? Oh, there is something I'm forgetting. Elena, can you close that blind? Because I opened it earlier, and I forgot to close it, and I don't want that glare all morning. Because it's like, we put the blinds up so I don't have glare, and then we open the blinds. That doesn't do me any good. So, all right, in that case, this is the one you're allowed to say out loud, okay? How did the Lord lead the children of Israel when they left Egypt? Pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Right. Now, if you learn nothing in the Sunday school class, adults that were in there, you should ask what question next. Why did he do that? What could be the possible reason? What, what is the connection throughout your Bible? Remember, you don't just get 66 separate books. You get 66 books combined to tell you one big story, which means when you get to Exodus, there are things pulling you back to Genesis. When you get to Isaiah, he's alluding back to Exodus, to Leviticus, to Genesis. All of these things are working together. Can you think, for my Old Testament scholar people, can you think of any time before the Exodus where pillar of fire and pillar of cloud might have had some illusion? <laughs> I won't do the whole thing. That, that would be aggravating. <laughs> I think one obvious one would be someplace like Genesis 15 with the covenant made with Abraham. But at the time, he's Abram, but it's just easier to call him Abraham. Abraham is put to sleep, not, not like at the vet, but like for a nap. And God makes the covenant with Abraham. God passes through. Now, God is spirit and truth. No one can see God. So how does God represent himself? A flaming torch and a flaming oven. A flaming oven. How would you see a flaming oven in the middle of the night? You would see what coming out of the top? Smoke. You have illusions. The covenant God of Abraham, the covenant maker, the one who swears to deliver, to uphold, to bless this people, to be a blessing to the whole world, to bring forth the Messiah, is the same God who has redeemed Israel, taken them out of their slavery and bondage in Egypt, and is going to lead them into a new promised blessed land. How do I know that? Because the symbolism of the God of Abraham is the symbolism of the God of Exodus. Dun, da, da, da. See, these things make sense. There are connections. Read your Bible. It'll do you good. All right, don't say this one out loud. Shh. In here. <laughs> 
okay? What sexual sin did Paul encounter in the Corinthian church? You're going, what? Yes. Read your Bible, it'll do you good again. Goal is not that you just answer Bible trivia and you can win Trivial Pursuit Bible Edition. Goal is that you get some knowledge and actually learn to apply it. So read the reason for the question. It will help you kind of dig in and understand and give you a starting path on understanding your Bible. All right, last thing would be, if our dates are wrong and you would be the second person to tell us that our dates were wrong, just let us know. If they're not in there and they're supposed to be, they are. If you are a person who does phone calls, cards, and letters, look at that list. That will do you some good. It will be a blessing to others. So, Because we did have one wrong, and we did have one omitted. So we fixed the omission, and we fixed the one that was wrong. So don't compare to last week's bulletin. Don't compare. Just go with this one. <laughs> All right. Anything else? <laughs> Now, you know what everybody's going to go do that has their bulletin at home. i got to see, what did we mess up? <laughs> what did we get wrong? Right. Going once, going twice, then let's stand and continue on with our worship service. Heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, spread the tidings all around, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, bear the news to every land, climb the steep and cross away, onward is our Lord command, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Wafted in the rolling dye, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Tell the sinners far and wide, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Sing ye islands of the sea, echo back to home she came. Earth shall keep her jubilee, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Give the wind a mighty voice. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Let the nation now rejoice. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Shout salvation full and free. Highest hills and deepest caves. This starts on the victory. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. This starts on the victory. Jesus saves, Jesus Standing in the alley of decision, trying hard to make 
the rye joys. The devil has gone, I staggered and stalled. I was captured by sweeter, gentler boys. My life had become like a timber. Lonely and darkened with sin. Jesus, let me in, and I'll be your friend. And that's when the renovation began. From a tavern to a temple where the Holy Spirit dwells. What a difference this love made. My soul was saved from hell. Grief at the new sign above my dark door. Now this temple is not a tavern Now, old friend, that once hung around the tavern, they don't have a home since things have changed. Addiction to fear and terror reindeer, lovely and regal reign. There's peace now inside of the temple. Satan has forever lost the war. Now my heart is a throne. For Jesus alone, cause his temple is not a tavern anymore. From a tavern to a temple where the Holy Spirit dwells, what a difference his love made my soul was saved from hell. Grief at the new side, but my God Now the temple is not a tavern anymore. Oh, my God's door. Now 
not a temple, is not a tavern Turn the microphone on, or I can find what I'm looking for in my Bible. I can't do both, apparently, because I just tried and failed miserably. All right, that is not a misprint. We are taking a one-week break from the book of Exodus because it is a Sunday we don't normally recognize every year. It is Sanctity of Life Sunday. Now, the reason why I don't recognize this every year is multifaceted. One, you know. You, you know right from wrong, good from evil, you know, up from down, bad from what is right. That's the first one. Believe it or not, the second reason, recognizing a day like today is not as important as the general discipleship work we do on a Sunday morning. It's not. Special occasions, social causes are not on the same par with building up the body of believers and the saints. So every couple of years we'll acknowledge something like this, but it's not as important as what we do day in and day out. Always remember that that your day-in and day-out discipleship matters in this world. And the third reason is, I realized about Tuesday, I can't take this. <laughs> Dealing with this topic kills me. And if I do it right, it'll kill you too, so you have that to look forward to. Now, I planned on recognizing this Sunday about six, seven months ago when I was planning out this year's um, uh, preaching schedule as to where we'll land what days. Turns out it was a good idea. This is going to be the first year since, what, 70-something, that there will not be an in-person March for Life in D.C. We canceled it. Of course we did. <laughs> because everybody else can get together and riot and pillage and protest, but guess who can't? And we can. The problem is, when the rubber meets the road, we don't usually have the gumption for the things we actually care about. Um, I have listened to too many stories from too many quote-unquote uh, abortion uh, advocacy groups or anti-abortion groups and how they sabotage legislation that would actually ban and end abortion in states. Be careful where you send your money. So with all of that said, why is this something that we should care about on at least a semi-annual basis? And I think the best answer to that is in the audio that I have in the computer that I'm going to stop talking so we can listen. Right where you are, I just want you to, right there in your seats, just shut your eyes. What you're about to hear are the sounds of metal BB striking the side of a tin can. For every BB that strikes, it represents 10,000 lives lost in the wars of America's past. 10,000 lives for every BB. This is the reality of what is occurring in your country. The American Revolution. The Civil War. World War One. World War Two. 
the Korean conflict. The conflict in Vietnam. September 11th and the war on terror. Since 1973, the war on the unborn child. God help us. If at some point in the last minute you didn't say, please, God, make that noise stop, I question your heart. Let's just dive right in because I don't know what else to add to that. We'll, we'll come back to this later. Thus says the Lord, go and buy a potter's earthenware jar. This is an object lesson from Jeremiah. He is going to teach the people of Israel a lesson. And he's going to use a visual. Why? Well, because this is how God actually likes to function. The book of Ezekiel is full of object lessons. We actually looked at one last week when we looked at the exodus from Israel and the leaven being removed from the houses as a removal of sin. Why an object lesson? Well, because Israel is a stubborn and stiff-necked people, and you tell people and you tell people and you tell people, and what do they hear? Too often we sound like Charlie Brown's teacher, and wah, 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 And we have no idea, so put something in front of them that they cannot miss. If you want to understand your judgments in the Old Testament a little bit better, think of them as object lessons. What would the wrath of God poured out on sin look like? The flood. What would the wrath of God when he decides that that city has crossed the line and it will go no further? Sodom, Gomorrah, and the cities of the plain. What would it look like if the priests become faithless and decide not to walk in godliness? That would be Nadab and Abihu from Leviticus chapter 10. When you see a lesson like this in the prophets, you are seeing a reminder of the judgment coming from, coming from God because of the holiness of God. Isaiah chapter 6, if you were going to proclaim one thing to the prophet, what would you tell him? What did the angels proclaim before Isaiah? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So Jeremiah starts down this road. Go buy a potter's earthenware jar and take some of the elders of the people and some of the senior priests. Why elders? Well, for starters in Israel, they are an important part of the testimony of Israel. Numbers chapter 11. The Lord therefore said to Moses, Gather for me seventy men from the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and their officers, and bring them to the tent of meeting. Let them take their stand before you, and then I will come down and speak with you there. I will take of the Spirit who is upon you and will put him upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you will not bear it alone." God dealt with Israel through the ministry of Moses. Moses, as one man, could not deal with the people of Israel, so God expanded that witness, expanded that testimony, and it went through the elders. That's a pattern that was observed throughout Israel's history. Congratulations, church! It's a pattern we still observe. Why? 
Proverbs chapter 16. A gray head is a crown of glory. It is found in the way of righteousness. See these? You earn those. (laughs) They are not given lightly. They are earned. And let's be honest, there is nothing sadder in life than an old fool, is there? Someone who has reached maturity, reached an advanced age, and still acts like a child. You would see that and say what? That's sad. Why? Because you're supposed to learn things from this life. As you encounter the problems, you're supposed to grow wiser, stronger, more faithful. Nothing has changed. A church devoid of gray hair is a church devoid of wisdom. A life devoid of gray hair is a life devoid of wisdom. See, it's a blessing, women. (laughs) Got to pick on you a little bit. Now, why are we gathering them? Because we have someplace to go. Verse 2, go out to the valley of Ben-Hinnom, which is by the entrance of the potsherd gate, and proclaim there the words that I tell you. All right, where in tarnation is this? Joshua chapter 15 helps us out. The border went up the valley of Ben-Hinnom to the slope of the Jebusite on the south, that is Jerusalem. And the border went up to the top of the mountain, which is before the valley of Hinnom to the west, which is at the end of the valley of Rephaim toward the north. So we are outside of Jerusalem. We are on the southwest slope of the area that Jerusalem is built upon. Remember, Jerusalem is built on the top of the hill. I guess you could call it a mountain, but it's not its not like a mountain when you think of the Rocky Mountains or the Himalayas. So it's an exalted hilltop. But for that area, it's the highest place around. So it is built there. We are on the southwest corner. Why are we going here? If you know your Old Testament history and you know the associations with the day we're looking at, you probably know the answer, but I'm not going to tell you yet because I'm going to let Jeremiah tell you. So go there and say, Hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Behold, I am about to bring a calamity upon this place at which the ears of everyone that hears of it will tingle. You know, you, you, you saw one of our lessons, right? What's one of our Bible reading lessons? Behold means what? Stop and listen. There's another one. When God repeats himself, why for he do that? There's an emphasis going on. So when you're reading your Old Testament, if you want to catch some emphases, notice recurring themes. Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, I am about to bring a calamity upon the place at which the ears of everyone that hears of it will tingle. Making a big emphasis to point out what? That people are going to be hearing something, that they're going to be learning something. Why? What's being taught here? One, Jeremiah is hearkening backwards. Who is the prophet of Israel? Come on. We've already mentioned his name once today. Who Who was the prophet of Israel? Moses was. He's a type, though. Who is ultimately the prophet for the people of God? Jesus is. Hebrews 1. God has spoken many ways long ago to his people, but he has spoken to us finally in these days in his son. When you read your prophets of the Old Testament, typically they all start out with what phrase? And the word of the Lord came unto dot, 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 dot. Insert your prophet here. You'll see this with Isaiah. You'll see this with Jeremiah. You'll see this with all the minor prophets. It's a hearkening back, which is a reminder to be looking forward. It's also a knock on the forehead that, hey, 
something is going on. There's, in this instance, there's more to that. This is a poetic justice. Remember that. We will come back to that idea. And you've seen this before in Jeremiah. He called the people, Hear, O earth. Behold, I am bringing disaster on the people, the fruit of their plans, because they have not listened to my words, and as my law, they have rejected it also. So how has this people done this thing? Verse 4. Because they have forsaken me, and have made this an alien place, and have burned sacrifices in it to other gods, that neither they nor their forefathers nor the kings of Judah had ever known, and because they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent. I don't think you need to be a Bible scholar to, to say, that's probably not good. Keep in mind, where are we? We're just outside of Jerusalem. What building is in Jerusalem that we might care about? The temple. Inside the temple is what piece of furniture that we definitely would care about? Ark of the Covenant. Why is that important? What's in the Ark of the Covenant? You got some of the manna, the staff that budded, and the, the law. The law of the people. That's God's copy of the covenant. They have a copy on display in the temple complex. God has a copy on display before his seat. Remember the wings of the cherubim, if you remember Indiana Jones and how that was designed? If, see, you always got to go back to that. Always got to go back to that. It's a good reminder that Nazis are evil and don't open the box if you're not supposed to. So there you go. As the wings extend over, that wasn't so that the presence of God, this is what Indiana Jones got wrong. It's not so that the presence of God would be in the box. It's because the presence of God sits enthroned above the box. God is in that place. And in the midst of that spot, in the midst of that building, in the midst of that temple, just down the hillside that you could see from that place, God declares that you have made that valley an alien place something that is unknown to him and to his people. That's broken. How have they done this? By violating their covenant with him by offering sacrifices to other gods. This goes back to Deuteronomy 28. It shall come about if you do not obey the Lord your God to observe, to do all of his commandments and his statutes with which I charge you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. They know not to do this. They've been warned not to do this, and what are they doing? Just in case you think they had an excuse, God planned for that in his law. Deuteronomy 13 actually lays out tests for the prophets. Like, make sure you're paying attention. How do you know if a prophet is a true prophet of God or not? Prophecy comes true. If, if I tell you it's going to rain tomorrow, and it rains tomorrow, my prophecy came true. Now, the minute I tell you it's going to rain tomorrow, and it doesn't rain tomorrow, what are you supposed to do? Go get the heavy rocks and stone the prophet, because he's a false prophet. Now... What if I tell you it's going to rain tomorrow, and it rains tomorrow, and then I tell you it's going to snow in July, and it snows in July, so looking pretty good like I'm a prophet, right? Now, I do all that, and I say, hey, I got an idea. Let's build the Asherah poles and offer sacrifices to Ashtaroth. What do you say? Deuteronomy 13 says, no, even if he's a real prophet, if he asks you to go after other gods, stone him to death. That is God's testing of you. Because how tempted are we to be led astray by the things that we see and the things that we experience? The lust of our flesh and the lust of our eyes. Hence the other reason for the object lesson and why this matters, why we're standing in this place. However we got here, we are not supposed to be in this place and we're not supposed to be doing this. Hence the uh, 
filled this place with the blood of the innocent. How is that? Verse 5 helps explain. Have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal, a thing which I never commanded or spoke of, nor did it ever enter my mind. Okay. Is this why God gave them children? No. Why did God give them children? Psalm 127. Behold, there's one of your lessons. A children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Believe it or not, that's radical for the Bible's world. That you would elevate children to that status. That's a biblical concept. Do you know what the ancient world thought of children? <laughs> In some instances, if they had cannons, they'd have been cannon fodder. But they worked the farms. They'd do the lowly jobs. You know, the stuff you're too old and tired to work on? That's what they're for. They serve. They're not blessings. They're not gifts from God. Scripture does that. God does that. His teaching does that. That's one of the things that was to separate Israel, is the pagan world would say, eh, kids, we can offer them as sacrifices, we can sell them, we can make money, we can work them to death. God said, no, they're gifts. You love them. You care for them. You train them. You prepare them for service. Not in your world, but in God's world. That's why, nor did it ever enter my mind. Christian, this is obvious. What are we supposed to do with the weak and the downtrodden and the lonely? In God's, in God's economy. Psalm chapter 11. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain snares, fire, and brimstone. Burning wind will be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, and the upright will behold his face. That's why the call to Israel is the same as the call now, to love, to care, to disciple, to uplift. This is why wherever you saw God's people rightly following and worshiping in the Old Testament, you know what you saw? A better society, an uplifted society, the least of these being cared for. When you see throughout Christian history, believing Christians go into a community, you know what you see in that community? It gets better. They build schools. They build hospitals. They build gymnasiums to exercise, to care for people. I mean, have fun. Go back through world history. Let me say. Go back probably before, yeah, anything just about before the 20th century. And, and find me a school founded by non-Christians. I'll wait. <laughs> find me a hospital founded by non-Christians. I'll wait. They don't exist. They just don't exist. Science, technology, medical advances, educational advances. This was the work of the people of God. Why? Because we saw those gifts from God, you know, those little rugrats, and we went, somebody should care for them. Someone should prepare them. Because here was the other part. Why did we teach them to read? So they could get good jobs and be productive members of society, right? <laughs> no. We taught them to read so they would do what? They would read their Bible. Because if they read their Bible, what will they discover? God, his judgment upon sin, their unworthiness before him, and the provision of Christ in their lives. That's what they would discover. And then indwelt by the Holy Spirit. All those things we care about in society, you know what they do? They just take care of themselves. I don't have to worry about them. 
because guided by the Holy Spirit, aided in love of brother, love of God, they will work well, they will learn well, they will act and live well. If you want to see why an education system gets broken, it's because we've lost the Christian foundation. We've lost the concept. And, and it's not as simple as, well, we took prayer out of schools. It's not that easy. We took the foundation out of schools. You want to know why a healthcare system breaks down the world over? We took the Christian foundation away from it. I don't care if your doctor prays beforehand. Look, it's comforting, and I like it when he does, but you know what I care? Does he actually operate from a worldview that cares about the person he's treating? That's a Christian foundation. That's love of brethren based on a love of God. The foundation built upon who God is, what he has done, what he calls his people to do. It was true in Israel. This is what they're losing. You don't get here. Well, you know, we got like six kids. We, we can walk one down to the valley of Ben-Hinnom and, and, and sacrifice. And there'll be good crops next year. How do you get to that place when you devalue life? When you over overvalue the things of this world, the gifts that the quote-unquote gods will provide? If you want to understand your modern society, look at your Bible. Look at the history. The brokenness that you see today is a straight line from the brokenness you see in this world. You see a lack of respect for God. There is no fear of him before their faces, and therefore they do what is right in their own eyes. The same brokenness then is the same brokenness now. So what's going to happen? Verse 6. Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when this place will no longer be called Topheth, or the Valley of Ben-Hinnom, but rather the Valley of Slaughter. Fun with Hebrew time. Why is it called Topheth? (laughs) All you Hebrew scholars, right? Me included. I looked it up. Literally, the word means a place of fire. Now, we carry some of this, when you see Ben-Hinnom, we carry some of this into English. I think the King James helps you out. Have you ever heard of the place called Gehenna? Gehenna, Ben-Hinnom, same close together. Ben-Hinnom, Gehenna, Ben-Hinnom, Gehenna. It's a transliteration. Gehenna is just a transliteration of Ben-Hinnom. That's not the one I care about. Why do I care about Tophet being a place of fire? Because when I read scholars enough, and they tell me all the same thing long enough, but they don't have a good reason, you know what I start doing? I stop not believing them very well. And so they have, language is fun. For the most part, you can figure out where words come from if you know the language they're based on. Like this is why English is such a nuisance because we don't have a a linguistic basis in one language. English is descended from a Germanic language that was influenced by French that borrows words from Latin. What could go wrong? So, so like if you, if you study Spanish or you study French or you study Italian, you can actually go back into the Latin roots of words because they're all Romance languages are based upon Latin primarily. And you can see how the language is developed. You can do the same thing in Greek and you can do the same thing in Hebrew. Well, the problem with the word topheth is we have no idea where it came from. We don't know how it got to the place that it got. And one of the theories on how it got to the place that it got is because of the root of topheth or topheth which would be the Hebrew word, word, Hebrew root word. Say that three times fast. Toph. Now, the Hebrew root word toph is the Hebrew word for drum. Now, 
There is no etymological reason why tough should ever become toughet. That's what the linguists tell me. But there's also no reason why toffet should mean place of fire. And if you go back into ancient Hebrew long enough, you'll actually find toffets. You know what they were? Musical gardens. <laughs> so when enough scholars tell me that toffet has nothing to do with the sound of drums, you know what I say? I don't believe you. Now, why do I care about that? Well, truthfully, I don't. But God does. Therefore, I now do. Why does Topheth become synonymous with a place of fire? Because it was a place where the drums were played. Why was it a place where the drums were played? Because when you're marching children through fire, what do they do? Who wants to hear that? Nobody. So what do you do? If I play the drums loud enough, what don't you hear? Anything else? Would you like to know what searing your conscience in real time looks like? Looks like playing the drums so you can't hear the screams of your own children. That's a brokenness. They will dull their hearts, dull their minds, sear their consciences. So what is God going to do? No, 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 no. You don't get to pretend like you don't hear. If you won't hear on your own, what will God do? He will make you hear. I will make void the council of Judah and Jerusalem in this place. I will cause them to fall by the sword before their enemies, by the hand of those who seek their life. I will give over their carcasses as food for the birds of the sky and the beasts of the earth. That's a good place to start. They will be void of wisdom and cast aside. Why? Psalm 33, the Lord nullifies the council of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the people. That was how he worked then. Guess what? Not a thing has changed because you can fast forward to Romans 1. Just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slaughterers, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. That's a heck of a list. And although they knew the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but give hearty approval to those who practice them. What's a depraved mind look like? It looks like, I want my sin, and I want you to tell me that my sin is okay. It looks like the banging of drums in the place of fire. Because I know it's wrong. And I don't want to be confronted with its wrongness, so I will hide it, and I will cover it, and I will close my eyes. And God said, no, no, you will not. Verse 8, I will also make this city a desolation and an object of hissing. Everyone who passes by it will be astonished and hiss because of all its disasters. That sounds benign almost, doesn't it? <laughs> like, hey, we're not going to die, or the city's not going to be destroyed. People are just going to look at it and go... In a world concerned with vanity and appearance, what could be the worst possible thing? I mean, case in point, have you ever, this is a question that I, I heard asked on a, uh, on a political talk, and I, it was brilliant, and I wish I'd thought of it. Have you ever met part of the social media mob? 
you see this, right? Like Walmart has to do X, Y, and Z. Walmart has to apologize for a commercial because what? People on Twitter and Facebook complain. Or we can't sell this, or there was a publisher last week that decided a United States senator can't publish his book with them because people on Twitter complain. <laughs> have you ever met the people on Twitter who complain? Like, do, have you, do, do you run into them at Target? Do you see them at the grocery store? Are they walking around Meyer? They have signs, hi, I'm the Twitter mob, I'm the Facebook mob, I'm the protest brigade. Like, you ever met any of these people? Neither have I. So why does every company and every corporation and every person on the planet care so much what they think? Because at our heart, we care what everyone thinks. And so did they. That's why this is actually a good idea. You care so much what everybody thinks. You are so vain and concerned with your life. You know what I'm going to turn you into? You know what else that will accomplish? In a seared world. A world that is so obsessed with itself that it literally cannot see the forest for the trees. What must you do to get them to listen? What better way to do that than to take a marker and put it right in the middle of them and say, hey, that's what it looks like when you continue on. Goes back to our object lessons. Why the flood? Why Sodom and Gomorrah? Why Nadab and Abihu? So that the generations to come will go, oh, that's right. So the generations there and the people around them would go, oh, that's right. So the people seeing the flame rising above the heap would go, yeah, let's not go that direction. Let's go over here. God will shake. God's word will be heard. It will be listened to. Verse 9, and I will make them eat the flesh of their sons and the flesh of their daughters, and they will eat one another's flesh in the siege and in the distress with which their enemies and those who seek their life will distress them. Talk about poetic justice in action. We don't do warfare like this anymore. Thank you, God. Now we hit a button and launch missiles and planes, and, and we blow you up from a continent away. Back then, if you wanted to kill somebody, guess what you had to do? You had to actually look at them when you did it. And if you wanted to invade a city, you couldn't send in the Air Force first to soften their defenses and then march into an empty place. You had to actually assault the city and they would build walls and have people to stop you from doing this. So what you would do is you would basically build a camp around a city, dig some trenches, build a wall in front of you, so that if the people tried to leave the city, you could stop them, and if people tried to get into the city, you could stop them. And what would eventually happen? We start starving to death, because all the food we've got in the city, we're going to run out of, and we can't get out to the fields beyond the city, because we put a wall and soldiers in front of them, and there reaches a point where if you're hungry enough, long enough, what starts looking like a meal? Everything. Everything. It's like a bad Monty Python sketch. We'll boil our shoes and our socks and, you know, wring out whatever. I mean, or it's like those Bear Grylls TV shows where it's like, what can I drink? Well, that's not, that's, I'm stopping right there. If you've ever seen Bear Grylls in the wilderness, you know exactly what's coming next. So we will just move on from that idea right there. Now, let's ask a question. Is that good? I mean, is that a fun way to live? Would we describe that as, as bad? You ever notice that we only describe it as bad when God does it to us? The people would describe this as terrible. What do you mean you're going to besiege our city and we'll be eating our own children? Why is he doing this? Because you're feeding them to false gods and idols already. What's the difference if the false god eats them versus if you eat them? 
Sometimes I think God does actually have a sense of humor. Poetic justice, an example. If you want a good example of poetic justice in your Old Testament, the Exodus is poetic justice. What's the final plague? Death of the firstborn. What was the kickoff to the people of Israel crying out for relief from God? The death of their firstborn by having them tossed into the Nile. The thing that you will oppress those people with is the very thing that I will use to break you. Bring the idea forward. Why are we so smart? Why are we so amazing? What do we have? Oh, come on, you know what you got. Why don't you carry an encyclopedia with you everywhere that you go? Because you do. It's called Google. Hey, Google. Hey, Siri. And you ask the question, and it tells you we don't know anything. It's freedom. I have the source of all knowledge in the palm of my hand. And yet, what's going to be the reason why we don't have any freedom in this country? <laughs> because the same people that tell us everything we need to know are eventually going to be the same people that tell us everything we need to do. And the freedom of having all that knowledge means what? That I don't learn anything. And I don't think deep thoughts. And I don't ponder things because I don't have to. I type it in and it just, oh, there you go. And it tells me. And then I put my phone back in my pocket and what happens five minutes later? I forgot I even looked it up. The thing that we use that we think grants us so much freedom is the thing that makes us such slaves. And if you don't believe me, watch your teenagers. Just go to a middle or a high school and watch them. <laughs> I literally almost was run off the road this morning coming to church. Because driving on a semi-plowed road where I'm barely in the spot where I'm not on the snow and ice, a woman came around the corner the other day in a large SUV in my lane. Why? Because she's driving like this. In the snow! In a curve! Why? Because it's that exciting. That's not freedom, that's... That's slavery, stupidity, whatever you want to name for. I say that because we're not better. We're not smarter. We have the same temptations, we just have them with different precision. We have the same temptations and sins, we just use them and utilize them in different directions. God will undo these things. And you know who's good it's for? Ours, his, and theirs. Always remember that. So, verse 10. Then you are to break the jar in the sight of the men who accompany you. In case you don't have ears to hear, we're going to break the jar so that you'll, if nothing else, if you were falling asleep during Jeremiah's speech, you will now do what? You will now wake up and pay attention, verse 11. And say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, just so I will break this people and this city, even as one breaks a potter's vessel, which cannot again be repaired. And they will bury in Topheth, because there is no place for burial. He, he keeps going. This is how I will treat this place and its inhabitants, declares the Lord, so as to make this city like Topheth, a place of fire. Right. Is that ever a good thing? Like one time, just realize when you read your Bible, fire is just about never good. Just about never good. This is one of the reasons I'm not a good Pentecostal because I don't want to call down fire from heaven. Anytime you call down fire from heaven, something bad is usually happening. And it's usually judgment. Second Peter 3 even. 
The day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away, and with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. That's a cleansing fire, but how does it cleanse? By destroying unrighteousness, destroying sin, taking away everything that is not pleasing in God's sight. They're literally being told, your city will come to this if you are not paying attention. And the houses of Jerusalem and the houses of the kings of Judah will be defiled like the place Topheth because of all the houses on whose rooftops they burned sacrifices to all the heavenly hosts and poured out drink offerings to other gods. That's verse 13. Why will God reject them? Because they first did what? Rejected God. Notice the brokenness. Notice the pattern. They won't live according to what God has called them to. What are they claiming they want? <laughs> I want more of my sin. I want more of my destruction. Therefore, God will give them what? Fine. That's the road you want to go down. You want to forsake everything that has been given to you for life. Because realize, that's what the commands are there for. That is what the word of God is meant to do. What did Jesus tell the people? I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. What's the lie of the world? See, the lie of the world is you Christians are no fun. Yeah. You don't let me do any of the fun stuff I want to do. One, I'm not telling you to do anything. God is. Two, fun? Sin. Debauchery. Destruction of relationships. Destructions of family. Destructions of mind, health, heart, and soul. This is fun? No, this is warped. This is brokenness. Why do you think the consequences of sin are so severe even in this world? It's a warning. It's a roadblock. And you know what we keep doing? <laughs> Plowing through it at a thousand miles an hour. We forget the warning, Hebrews 10.31, that it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. This is again the object lesson. Why break the jar? Why send the flood? Why rain fire from heaven? Why proclaim peace? Why warn the people? Because if you don't, what is coming? The sins you do, the path you walk, the storing up of wrath will one day be called to account. And one day those sins will be brought forth and they will shine brightly before everybody and you will go, and now I know. I tell you all of that story to tell you this story because there's some questions that we have to ask. Are we Israel? No. No, we're not. So are we responsible for the sins of this world committed by others? So when you hear those BBs drop and you realize the number of lives they represent, is that my fault? Is that your fault? Is that the church's fault? No. No, it isn't. It's, it's not. If you think it is, get off of the self-immolation pile. Don't blame yourself for the sins of this world. It is not your fault. People sin. Now then, does that mean because we are in this country and because we are a part of this world that God will overlook that sin? No. No, he will not. Did every resident of Jerusalem send their children out to the fires of Tophet? No. Did every member of Jerusalem and the surrounding area say, ooh, ooh, take my kids to sacrifice to Baal? No. 
Were their lives any less ended and their homes any less burned down when the judgment of God came? No. No, they weren't. And this is one of the things we have to remember. We are not promised safety, security, and a good time here. We are promised tribulation. We are promised difficulty. We are promised stubbornness from the world around us, and we are called to faithfulness. I mean, I read you that holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty from Isaiah. Do realize that like five verses later, you know what Isaiah is told? That I will send you to a people who will not listen, and I will tell you to a people who will not hear. You will call them to account, and they will say, I'm good. What's Jeremiah's nickname? The weeping prophet. Why? Because you know what happens to him in the next chapter? <laughs> the next chapter, he calls out to God, why have you done this to me? Why have you given me these words to proclaim? You have made me a reproach in this world. They hate me. They want to kill me. And I despise this. But I can't stop doing it. I want to die rather than do this and i can't not do this it's like fire in my bones christian that's the message and that's the walk it's a broken destroyed world why because sin breaks and destroys sin never shows up and goes "Ooh, some drapes would be nice over here and a fresh coat of paint over there and we'll redo the carpet you know instead i think there's hardwood floors under here we'll rip the carpet up and we'll polish it it'll look awesome and then we'll all be on hgtv together sin never does that sin walks in and goes "Ooh." We'll tear that wall down. We'll destroy that with fire. We'll cover this in mud. We'll bury you. We'll cut off some fingers. It's going to be awesome. Go team. That's what sin does. So when sin corrupts a culture and sin corrupts an individual, why are we surprised that it leads to death, destruction, and rot from the inside out? There's a lesson in all of this, and it comes all the way back from Psalm chapter 2. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. And they say, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. In other words, I don't want you to be in charge. I want me to be in charge. Why, why are they in an uproar? Why are they devising a vain thing? They take their stand, and they, again, I'm sorry, they take their stand, and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointing. I'm sorry, I read that part already. I lost my spot. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. As they war, as they rage, and as they demand, what does God do? He laughs. He laughs. Like when a four-year-old comes up to you like this. Are you suddenly terrified? <laughs> You're like, have you met my four-year-old? No, why? Because you do that silly game and you put your hand out and it's like, you can't even get here. Or you just pick them up and it's like, what are you doing? I, I, I dealt with one of these kids um, in, a, in another life, it feels like. I was in charge of an after-school program of a, at a daycare. And the grandson of the owner of the daycare was literally a holy terror. They, we, uh, we left him alone one day in a classroom with one other teacher, and she had no backbone, and he actually destroyed the classroom. 
flipped tables, threw chairs. Child was five. He's five. He's about this tall and about this big around. I'm convinced that if I'd gotten him by the ankles, I think I could have thrown him 30, 40 yards. You know, just a good swing. And he went off on a tangent one day, and he was a danger to himself and others. And I literally just snatched him up and sat him on a park bench and held his knees. And the reason why I did that is because his arms weren't long enough to punch me, and by holding his knees, he couldn't kick me. <laughs> and that child just sat there, kicked and screamed and wailed, and, and just did this number, and I was safe. And eventually he wore himself out, and we were done. I'm not afraid of that. Even if he connects with one of those swings, you know how much damage he's going to do? He's just going to annoy me more than anything else. Welcome to God dealing with this world. He's not afraid. Why should he be? He's God. They're not. So they can assemble their armies. They can make their plans, and he's going to do what? No. Yes. Again, read Revelation. It'll do you good. What's that? What happened? When the battle lines up, God goes, yeah, you're dead. You, lake of fire, all right, you guys are with me. We're good here. And we're done. It's like one chapter, and everything's wrapped up. That's not the punchline of all of this. The punchline is that that God demonstrates a patience and a love beyond our understanding. Because the psalm continues, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now, therefore, kings, show discernment. Take warning, judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son that he not become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. That's a warning and a comfort. This world has been, is now, and will always be under the judgment of God. As long as sin abides. Why? Because people are here, and as long as people are around, people do what? And devoid of God's intervention, we continue to do what? We continue to sin and to do so spectacularly bad. And until that judgment comes and things are cleansed the way Second Peter 3 warns us, we're going to keep dealing with these things. But Christian, we cannot forget the two sides of the message. Because if you're like me, when you hear those ball bearings drop, your first thought is, dear God, Make it stop. And as it continues on, do you know what your second thought probably was? And how do you feel about the people who are doing it? See, that's the danger. I warned you of this last week. I'm going to warn you again this week. There are two sides. Please do not get to the place where you go, judgment is coming. Yes. Because it's tempting. It's tempting to see that and go, keep going, keep going. He's laughing, and he's going to smack you. Now, will we rejoice when that judgment comes upon sin? Yes, we will. Why? Because our day has come. Our righteousness has been applied, and we will rejoice in the presence of the king. But until that day comes, what should we be doing? The same thing that Psalm 2 says. Take heed, pay homage to the Son how blessed are those who take refuge in him. The day of his wrath will soon be kindled. How blessed are those who take refuge in him. See, this is where I think we get it wrong. I mentioned the organizations. And you want to talk about fun? Go look at some of the legislative history of the national right to life. They get millions of dollars every year. 
They've opposed legislation in states that would ban abortion. You know why? Because there's no money in it. There's no money in it. If you go to a state and you propose a bill that would ban abortion in that state, the, 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 right, the right to life groups can't raise money anymore on the evil abortion providers. How disgusting is that? Don't hate them. Pray for them. Evangelize them. Recognize that wrath is coming. And this is the problem that we have gotten into in Christianity. Is it a tragedy that there will be no March for Life this year in D.C.? Maybe. Maybe not. What has almost 50 years of marching gotten us? Why not? Because who are we expecting to do something? We're expecting government. Solve our problems. Ye old mighty and powerful government. Change the laws. Get, you know, three more Supreme Court justices. Elect a couple more representatives. Christian, that's not our God. Our God is God, Yahweh, enthroned above his creation. Abortion's nothing new. They called it exposure in the Roman Empire. You give birth to the kid that you didn't want, or the kid had deficiencies and deformities when it was born. You know what you do? You take it outside of town, there's a nice empty field, and you lay it down somewhere, and you walk back to town. You just leave it. What's going to happen very quickly? Now, Read your New Testament. Read church history. Paul petitioning Nero, hey, we need to end exposure of infants. We need to stop that. Is there any church history of petitioning the emperor or the governors of stopping it? No. You know what the Christians did? They knew where the field was, so you know what they did? They went to the field, and when you laid the kid down, you know what they did five seconds later? They went out and picked him up, and they brought him home. We've spent millions tens, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars to get legislation changed. Christian, we have never once changed this world from the top down. Christianity turns this world upside down from the bottom up because individual Christians in individual places working in their locations where God has placed them are praying, proclaiming, and working for the goodness of his kingdom. And they are remembering that judgment is coming, but, but, before that wrath is kindled, how blessed are those who take refuse, refuge in him, who refuse the trappings of the world and trust in God. If you're concerned, find how you can be involved. This is why I like local charities. <laughs> Let's give our money where? Where we are, because we can affect. Because you know what? We might find out next month that that's a place we shouldn't have given money to. You know what we won't do next year? We won't give them any money. Because, and you know how we'll know? Because they're here and they're doing and we can see the impact. I wonder if instead of trying to gather in D.C., if we just gathered in towns, you know, in churches, if instead of funneling money into legislation, if we just funneled money into women and said, women goes, I'm going to have an abortion. Hey, got a deal for you. Instead of that, let us pay for your medical care. Let us pay for the delivery. And let us, when the kid's born, take care of the kid since you don't want him. And I'll tell you what, we'll even pay you for it. I wonder if that would have accomplished anything. I don't know. You know why I don't know? Because that's not how we think. Because we think if we give enough money to somebody else, they'll do something. Christian, who is responsible for your discipleship? You are. Who will stand before God and say, this is what I thought, therefore this is what I did? You will. So no, I didn't do it. I'm not responsible. But am I surprised my country is broken when this is the road that it goes down? No. 
So what do I do about it? I don't march on the Capitol. I march to the cross. And I ascend to the throne room of God because he's the one who works and he's the one who changes. And then I figure out if I'm so moved and so inclined and so gifted, how do I get involved? Not how do I pay somebody else to be involved, but how do I get involved? And hear this. If you are not so inclined and so motivated, you are not evil. God puts different cares, different concerns on different people's hearts. And if you know somebody or you are somebody who has participated in this, how blessed are those who take refuge in him. I say all the time, for that too, Christ died. And that's why we cannot harden our hearts and why we cannot look with anger. Because when we do, what we're saying is, my sin that was forgiven was one thing, but that sin, oh, that's not how the gospel works. That's not how Nebuchadnezzar gets to heaven. That's not how Paul gets to heaven. That's not how David and Samson and Jephthah and all those broken judges get included in Hebrews 11. They're included because God's grace and mercy covers a multitude of sins, and the brokenness of sin and the destruction of humanity wrought in it is covered by the grace of Christ, no matter how big, small, ugly, or hidden. How blessed are those who take refuge in him. Yes, the judgment of sin is coming, but Christian, please recognize that we seek to win the world, not through legislation, not because we threw enough money at it, but because we threw prayer and the gospel and the Holy Spirit conquered. If you've heard nothing else, please hear that today. That our world is broken and going to be broken until Christ comes back. But we are called in the meantime to walk faithfully, trust what he is accomplishing, and know that his kingdom is good. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunities that we can gather together, that as your people we can proclaim your name, celebrate your great work, and rejoice in your great mercy. Lord, the world is dark at many times, but in you there is light, and in your message is hope and peace in your salvation. Lord, let us never, ever, ever forget it. Let us proclaim your goodness, your mercy, and your righteousness, and let us work as we serve faithfully until you return. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us. You came from up unto earth to show the way from the earth to the cross. Lord, help to be from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Lord, I lift your name on high. 
Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us. You came from heaven to earth to show away from the earth to the cross. My death to be from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I lift your name on high. Uh, just quick reminder, business meeting, so members stick around. Won't be long, but we do have a couple of things we need to go over, so you'll hang around for that. I'd appreciate it. Let's pray. Again, Lord, as we leave this place, we ask that you would strengthen us, that you would keep us, that you would uplift us, that our sanctification would be on the forefront of our minds, that our walking in you would be just that, a walking in holiness, seeking after the things of your kingdom and not this world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.